there's a frost on the window A gentle snowfall So Hi Felicia is a podcast that I started with the idea of having conversations on a variety of topics, trying to do a deep dive, um, maybe knowing something about the person, maybe not. One of my guilty pleasures is Criminal Minds and the team at the BAU, and they always profile a serial killer or an unsub by the fact that, that they usually start in a geographical location that's comfortable to them. So I, I do do that. So I am using friends and family and friends of friends and Facebook friends, folks who are basically in my sphere at, at first, to interview and have some conversations. Because I've always been curious about, you know, where people come from, what their interests are, and I get really jazzed about talking to someone who's really enthusiastic about a subject that maybe I know a little bit about, maybe I know nothing about. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with my different guests and um, please feel free to comment send questions um, or send suggestions for guests that you think might be interested uh, to be on Hi Felicia There's a river that runs within me Most times she just ebbs and flows But sometimes she breaks the levee. The this is Felicia. <laughs> Sometimes I forget my own name. <laughs> Who am I today? Uh, this is Felicia, and I'm the host of Hi Felicia Podcast. My host, my, oh my God, I don't think I've had enough coffee today. My guest today is Katura Allgood. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> and by way of introduction, how do you usually tell people about yourself? I guess I would say that I am a songwriter from Western North Carolina, and gosh, I don't know. How do you introduce yourself to someone? <laughs> well, I know people might know you primarily for music, but I didn't know if there was like other things that you usually share about yourself because I, I'm trying to get away from and purposefully getting away from this idea of like, tell me what you do, because I think... Mm. What you do is less about who you are. It might happen to do with what you're doing at the moment. And Absolutely. we all have a variety of interests and some of which are hobbies, some of which are passions, some of which are pursuits. And sometimes how we pay the bills is different than all of that. So That's very true, especially when you're a songwriter or an artist of any kind. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think all independent artists um, at some point in their career are doing uh, things that aren't their art <laughs> in order to do the mundane things like keep the uh, heat on. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. When um, I know that you have a long and varied musical history and that you're, I mean, you're also a youngin. So you, you grew up in a musical family? I did. I grew up in um, Transylvania County, North Carolina, which is about an hour outside of Asheville, North Carolina. So it's up in the mountains, and my family has been here for many generations. So they uh, were sort of the some of the original settlers in this area, 
and um, and also um, I'm also descended from uh, the Cherokee Nation as well. So a um, lot of history back in the hills here. And the people in Western North Carolina were a lot of them, you know, came from Ireland and Scotland and they carried those musical traditions with them Mm -hmm. and they were very very isolated a lot of people still are Um, it's surprising i think for people to learn just how many people still live um, very simple isolated lives here in the mountains and my family uh, they were extremely isolated so isolated that um, for instance during the great depression they didn't even know that anything was happening until they went into town to sell some of their vegetables and were turned away at the market because no one could buy anything. And that's the first time that anyone had heard about the Great Depression. Um, Wow. And because of that isolation and because they had this great oral history and this great tradition of songs, they just sang and played and made instruments. And that was their form of entertainment. And I come from a really long line of that tradition, which as a kid growing up, I think I certainly did not honor that or um, love it as much as I do now, for sure. You know, I really honor where I came from now and really believe and see just how incredibly blessed and lucky I was to have that kind of tradition and to, you know, come home every day to a porch full of people playing music and really just incredible songwriters, incredible musicians. And I don't think I had any idea of the beautiful depth of experience that I had until I was much older and out in the world and realized that, you know, a lot of people didn't come from that experience. Um, You know, as a young kid growing up, obviously I just wanted to get as far away from here as possible. (laughs) Um, In our society, I believe that we do a lot of, um, I guess I'd call it geographical judgment and bias. And unfortunately, the South really gets that a lot. Um, And growing up, I sort of bought into those things, you know, the things that uh, what I would see reflected back to me from television or here on the radio. Uh, These things about what uh, what it means to be a Southerner. And so I really wanted to run as far away from that as I could. And I felt like... um, I needed to be in New York and be on Broadway. <laughs> I figured that was the the furthest away from the Southern uh, banjo picking experience that I could get. <laughs> and so that's kind of the path that I started taking. And then that sort of just crumbled overnight. And lo and behold, I ended up being a banjo picking songwriter right here back in my hometown. <laughs> and- wasn't it that you had at some point had an experience with a teacher that said, well, you're, you're you're working on show tunes here, but have you ever thought of doing this type of music? And you were kind of like, whoa, like, is that? Am oh, I, yeah. Am I oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I had a great vocal teacher. Her name was um, Dr. Julie Fortney. And she was based out of Asheville. And so my wonderful parents, you know, would 
tote me over there every day or every week. And I would take these great um, vocal lessons. But everyone that she was teaching who were my peers, I had a couple of friends who also were taught by her. You know, they were they were doing classical music. They were doing opera. They were doing um, show music. And I just, gosh, I wanted so badly to, to have that voice. And so I would, you know, I would really try and I would struggle. It was, it was really hard for me. I, you know, I would, I would struggle, especially with um, the operatic tunes and it was, you know, my voice just didn't do those things. And so there was a part of me as a child, you know, I felt, well, this, I'm a failure, you know, this should be something that I can learn and I can do. And finally, because she was such a incredible teacher, she finally said to me one day, she said, you know, I want you to come next week. And instead of having a lesson, I want to take you to see my friend who is a blues musician and a blues singer. And I thought a blues singer, well, what is that? And we don't sing the blues in in school, you know? And, um, and she took me and I was just absolutely captivated. And she said, you know, you have a different kind of voice. And I believe that you're trying to sort of, you know, fit it into this box where it doesn't belong. And, you know, there's going to be a point in your life where you're going to really be able to let loose. And I just want to give you um, the ability to see that there are other avenues and other ways that you can go. And I didn't, I, I, I really was mesmerized and I took in what she was saying, but it didn't really come to fruition until, you know, several years later when I finally said, oh, so that's what she was talking about. And then I started finding my own voice, which is such a powerful thing. I'm working right now with an organization called Girls Rock and it's an incredible organization. It's international. There's several chapters throughout um, the whole world. And it really empowers um, girls and trans youth, um, gender non-binary youth. Um, basically, uh, kids who have really been marginalized. And it gives them a voice. It's incredible. They put on a camp and the kids come together and they get together on the first day. They form a band. They write a song and then they perform that song at the end of the week in front of their peers and, and an audience. And it's just a, a beautiful experience. And I think so often about, you know, how I wish I'd had a lot more of that when I was a kid, a lot more validation that there are different ways to go because girls, when I was growing up, girls were still, you know, told, well, your hands are too small to play the guitar properly. Or, you know, there's always some great excuse as to why, we couldn't be rock stars, <laughs> even though uh, we had great examples of female, um, you know, rockers. It just wasn't something that was, you know, at least in my area, it wasn't something that I felt like I could achieve or something that I could aspire to be. So it took me a really long time to figure out who I was and what I was and, you know, kind of what I wanted to put out into the world. That's awesome, though. And that's a beautiful example of um, how through experience and through sounds like you had some really wonderful teachers who were less about you fitting into a box and more about you finding your voice. And now you get to 
pay that forward and participate in girls rock camp because that's really popular in the Boston area too. So I know friends that are involved in it here and it's a great organization. And like you said, it, it's really about, um, teaching girls and, you know, non, non, uh, normative, whatever, if it doesn't fit into a box kind of folks to trust themselves. Absolutely. It just, you know, and having the freedom to do that. And, and, you know, I guess I do have to say, I will backtrack a little and say that, you know, I, I suppose that I probably had more, um, more luck and experiences than a lot of people, um, probably in my geographic location, because Brevard, um, is really known for the arts so there were a lot of experiences afforded to me that probably wouldn't have been afforded to um, someone, you know, maybe even 20 miles down the road in a more uh, in an area that wasn't as, um, you know, arts leaning as this community is. So even when I was in high school, I mean, I, I was a member of a of a um, theater group and we would write our own pieces and perform them. And they were very powerful. And that was very that, um, you know, that shaped a whole lot of who I became as well and writing my own work um, became really important for me. And I realized during that process as a young child, you know, I realized right away that what you say and what you put out into the world can be very powerful and can impact people. Yeah. What are some of the ways that you, you've, you've received that feedback from other people Then you know, they've heard a song on their scene you play out or a, They've heard you on the radio. Like what, what kind of, do you have any, like really something memorable that has happened that you've heard from someone? I think that one of the most important things that happened um, career wise for me was um, when I put out my first solo record, a fellow in Maine, Northern, Northern Maine, really far up, had gotten a hold of the record and he really loved what I was doing and he had an inoperable brain tumor so he couldn't come to us and he asked if we could come you know by any stretch of the imagination if we would come to northern maine and do a house concert for him and i thought my gosh like that's a that's really far (laughs) and how are we going to make that work so we put together a little tour a little mini tour that would take us kind of up up the East coast and then end up, you know, in that area where he was. And we got there and, you know, we were set, it was a beautiful day and we were setting up outside. We thought, well, we'll just set up outside here in his yard. And we put a little piece of, um, you know, pallet wood down, made a makeshift stage, set up all of our equipment and started playing. And there were maybe, you know, five, 10 people there. And we started playing and you could hear, you know engines and motors and it was people on four wheelers and they were coming through the woods and you have to understand this is such an you know talk about isolated community this place is unincorporated it's way past banger it's in super northern maine and before you knew it it was like all the neighboring communities were coming out they were pulling their kids and wagons on the back of their four wheelers (laughs) and there was this huge show and this beautiful experience and just knowing that 
something that I had put out into the world had touched someone enough for them to reach out to me and say, you know, I'm not going to make it much longer. I want to see you before I die. I mean, that was a really powerful experience. But then also to see that community kind of come out, like um, maybe supporting this, uh, this guy who had the tumor, but also to come and hear the music for the event of it, for the... For the community oh, of it, yeah, that's that's really the power. That's the power of music in like its purest form. I think is that connection. That's very cool. That is so. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it was it was amazing, and and actually, it it turned out that we were in Chicago when he he was in the cancer center um, in Chicago. They had transferred him there for a treatment, and it was this was right before he passed. So. Um, we were able to play for him there as well. It just sort of turned out that we were in the same place at the same time, which was really cool. And, um, you know, and I tell you this journey that I am on, it's a, gosh, I think we're all just broken souls trying to make it through this experience on earth. And I think that whatever, you know, we go through um, to get to where we are, we have to honor those things. And for me, this this musical journey and what I what I try to do right now with what I'm trying to put out into the world is as much goodness as I possibly can. And that came from a lot of um, pain in my life and a lot of things that I that I had to learn, you know, that I wasn't doing right because people see me now, you know, and they you know, they always people are, people are so wonderful, first of all, and, and they say the greatest things, you know, and they always say, well, Keturah is so, you know, she's so kind and, and she, you know, and all these beautiful things, but what they don't know about me is that I wasn't always that person, right? And so, for instance, I um, had this really profound experience when I was in middle school, I was really struggling um, with, with who I was. Oh, I should also probably say that, that I am, um, for lack of a better word, I guess I'm, I'm gay, um, queer, lesbian, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm not a very big label person, but I think, you know, we do have to put some sort of name to it. Um, and so when I was in, you know, and I also growing up in a rural community, my father is a minister, mom was a Sunday school teacher and it just, you know, being gay was not an option. Okay. And I was in middle school and I was really struggling with, with who I was. I didn't understand why, when my friends would talk about boys, why that didn't, you know, I didn't get excited or I didn't think about boys that way. It was really challenging and difficult time for me. And there was this one particular girl that I went to school with and boy, you know, it's like some people you just butt heads with. And we really butted heads. And I started ta using all that anger and that frustration and everything inside of me that was confusing and I didn't understand. And I started um, kind of using her as a punching bag, not a literal punching bag, but definitely with my words and the way I treated her. And I was very, very cruel to this being, this beautiful human. And years later we uh, ended up interviewing for the same job 
And so we were sitting in the room and I had not seen her in probably, you know, six, seven years. And we were interviewing for this job together. And so I took that opportunity because, you know, I had grown and changed and, you know, found some enlightenment, of, of course, and also figured out who I was, which was really helpful. And during that process, I remember sitting there and I, and I was, you know, filling out my interview uh, form and I was thinking, I really need to talk to her and apologize. And so I went to her, you know, after, after uh, I think we met up in the parking lot and I said, I just wanted to, you know, I really wanted to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I'm so sorry for the way I treated you. And instead of her saying, you know, thank you for the apology or anything like that, she turned around and she said to me, you need to understand that you almost ruined my life and I hate you. And that was one of the most profound experiences for me. And it just hit me right in my gut that I had affected someone's life so negatively that at that moment, at that very time in that parking lot, I decided that I was going to spend the rest of my life, you know, trying to undo that harm that I had done to this one person by trying to put out goodness and light and love into the world. So that's how that all came to be um, because I was a real asshole to someone and it really hurt them. We also get to have our range of experiences depending upon how, you know, how much pain we're in. And unfortunately, sometimes that does affect our fellow humans. Um, but then the point at which, you know, things end up being our responsibility is then how we move forward or don't move forward with that. Sounds like that person was also carrying a lot of pain, perhaps not just because of what her interactions were with you, but in that moment, she wanted you to know that she blamed you for something that may or may oh, not have been your complete, you know, yeah. fault, fault. So again, like we're all on this plane of a continuum in terms of how we process things. I think it's, I think it speaks to, you know, you in that moment that you chose to want to do not only to acknowledge the pain that you had caused and apologize, but that you wanted to sort of serve, you know, you and your life differently by sort of moving forward in a different way. But perhaps you had already, you know what I mean? Like that was kind of a path you probably maybe were already set on because you had sort of settled with coming to terms with who you were and what you wanted to do in the world. And it sounds like you learned, you took that as a lesson for how, how you really wanted to show up in the world. I would wish, and I think it sounds like you do too, would wish that person that same um, lesson in it, you know, hopefully they've come to it in their own way. But I, I think well, some, some of us get there and some of us don't, right? Yeah. And actually, the cool thing is that about 10 years later, um, she actually ended up coming. I had a someone threw me a huge uh, party for my 35th birthday. And it was um, uh, my wife actually threw me that huge party. And uh, <laughs> she's super <laughs> created, cool. Yeah. My amazing wife. And uh she created this great musical experience and a lot of uh, great musicians showed up to play there. And this person actually came to that party and we sat down on my 35th birthday. We sat down and had a healing and it was amazing. 
you know, to come to come forward and to move through that. Um, but it, it really did have a profound effect upon me because I, yeah. I, I truly believe that there, you know, there are two ways that you can walk through life. You can walk through life in fear. You can walk through life in love. And those things that end up happening when we hurt other people generally come from something in, inside of us that we're living in fear of or, you know, not knowing how to process properly, whatever that is. Um, and it is, and gosh, it is such a difficult process, this living thing that we do, this plane of existence that we're on here on earth. Um, it's painful. It's heartbreaking. It's um, shattering in so many ways. But the cool thing is if we can, or for me, if I can learn to, you know, walk in this light and walk in this path of goodness and love, um, it just makes everything better. It really does. I mean, it, it, nothing is ever perfect. You know, I, you know, right now I'm a, I'm still a struggling songwriter. You know, I'm not, I'm not famous. I don't, you know, but, but I try to put out goodness in the world and, I will say that I I had another huge shift this year. I think actually since I last talked to you um, and my whole life has changed. So I, I was living in fear in my life in the last few years, like from financial fear. And, you know, I was like, here I am, I'm, I'm 42 years old and I feel like a failure and, you know, I'm having trouble paying my bills. And so I started, uh, doing other things, other jobs, you know, I was Uber driving and Lyft driving and just trying to, you know, do those things that we have to do in this society we live in, in order to get by. And I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. And I was working, I was working, you know, anywhere from 14 to 16 hours a day, plus playing music and doing all these things. And it was just, gosh, it was like soul shattering and heartbreaking and I hated it. And, <laughs> um, and I was doing it just merely purely out of fear and trying to survive. And one day I just woke up and I said, you know, I've just got to stop doing this because I'm not really getting that for much further ahead financially. And I'm just going to pour everything that I have into my art. And so I did that day. I just stopped. I kind of spun my head around, tried to figure out how I was going to make this work. And, Gosh, it was almost like overnight things just started pouring in and I am at this point so busy that yesterday I thought I'd missed a gig <laughs> because I just can't keep up with things anymore. That's wonderful. I'm so happy yeah. to hear that. I'm so yeah, happy to hear and it's, that. Yeah, it's, it's really been a blessing and, you know, and I think that, um, gosh, I don't know. We talk a lot in this in, in, in this modern day, you know, there's a lot of talk of intention and manifestation and, you know, and all those things. Um, but gosh, I have to say that for me, it really works. And I've been super blessed and I just, I don't know. I want to see all the beautiful souls in the world doing the things that bring them joy. Just figuring out how to figure how figuring out how to do that. So, um, Tell me about the current musical things that you're working on. Like maybe describe a little bit about what your music, I know it's hard to say what it sounds like, but maybe some elements of it or, you know, is there a song that you're working on or like what, what's going on? What, what excites you these days about what you're doing? 
Oh my gosh. Um, probably feeling like for that I'm, I finally figured it out. Um, as far as what I, what I want to put out into the world, um, as a writer, you know, you write about so many things and your experiences and, and, and because you're growing and learning and changing, you know, as a songwriter, your songs change, right? So where I was in my twenties writing songs about, you know, drinking and getting high and, you know, whatever that experience was I was having at the time, you know, it's a very different experience that I'm having now. So that's a really cool thing, right? To look back on your work and see the growth in that. And um, I have a five piece band now, which is phenomenal. And I've, I've had, um, I've had the main three members of my band, which is my wife and, Howie Johnson, who's um, my lead guitar player, we've been together for probably 13 years, on and off. And this past year, um, we gained a drummer and a keyboard player, and it just feels like it's finally come to fruition. This sound that I've been looking for, you know, it's like I've always been searching for this particular sound. And... I feel like I'm finally starting to achieve it. You know, it's a very um, rich, filled out musical experience that I have with the band. I love them all. We all have the same sort of um, goals in life. <laughs> We're all sort of, you know, trying to live at a higher vibration, which is very cool. And when we play together, it's really magical. There's this great magic that happens on stage. Um, that you know you could stay high off of for the next month because it's so great what happens there and that's been a great experience having the band and then i'm also working with um, an organization called nc songsmiths which is an incredible collective of over 60 songwriters from north carolina and we're attempting right now to become a nonprofit. so it's taking a little bit of time but we're going to get there um and what we do essentially is put songwriters on on legitimate tours so um, I've got another little mini tour coming up at the end of March. Um, and it is so great because they're of the 60 songwriters, everyone's different. It's different genres, different, you know, ways of approaching your instrument, different ways of, you know, rhythm and, and funk and just incredible stuff that happens in the collective. So we learn from each other, which is amazing. And then um, we get to send these songwriters out into the world every week to go uh, on this tour and, and entertain people and, and give them their art and their heart. So it's a beautiful experience. I love working with these folks. I'm doing the girls rock thing, which has been so amazing. And it's kind of funny right now because we're taking kind of the experience of the kids and turning it into an adult experience. So we're doing a rockathon with seven bands, all made up of different women. I, I'm in a band right now with um, four other people, and my wife is in the band, but the other people, the other three people, I've uh, never met until a few weeks ago. And we're uh, writing songs, and we're going to do a huge rockathon uh, at the end of March to benefit the Girls Rock Camp. So it's very cool. When, how would you say that your music has sort of evolved? Like when you first started out, did you have a certain affinity towards a certain type of music? And now you're writing, you said you're sort of kind of really finding your voice more truly. Like, what would you say? How has it sort of evolved for you? Sure. I think, you know, when I first started out, I mean, I was definitely 
probably more on the folky side of things. You know, I come from my family um, growing up in the Appalachian Mountains. You know, it's very bluegrass based, um, very roots, roots music, old time music. And that's sort of what I grew up with and country music for sure, you know. And I had a real varied musical taste. I and I still do. I love everything. Um, my record collection, my CD collection is insane. You know, just looking at it right now. I mean, I'm in my studio right now and I see, uh, you know, Ziggy Marley right next to Willie Nelson and Mavis Staples. So that's just an idea of (laughs) how varied it can be. Um, But when I started out, I certainly was leaning towards probably the folky singer songwriter thing. Um, I had a duo right out of um, right out of high school. I had a duo with another um, woman that I went to school with and we were very folk roots based. And then I met my wife um, who is from Chicago and she grew up in the height of Chicago blues and rock and roll and just had this great breadth of experience in that world. And she just brought that world into my world. She came crashing kind of into my musical experience, you know, with that, with that vibe. And, um, and it just really, gosh, she, she really brought out my inner rocker, I think. (laughs) And uh, I never knew that I could really do that. And when it started happening, I was like, oh man, so maybe this is what uh, that vocal teacher was talking about all those years ago, right? This voice. And it was incredible. And I started discovering that I have a huge voice, sometimes scary, huge. Um, but it's amazing to be able to explore that and not be afraid of it. I think for a lot of years, I was probably afraid of it. Um, but I am not afraid of that voice anymore. And I just let her rip, you know, <laughs> just how let it go. How do you think... Um maybe your relationship with music changed when you, I mean, you said a little bit about it. Like when you met your wife, she sort of brought that bluesy sense or sensibility. How do you think that has also helped inform your music? I know any good relationship helps sort of, you know, expand your heart and stuff like that. But tell me about, tell me about your wife and tell me about how you think that impacts you. Absolutely. Um, My wife is, an incredibly huge influence on my art for sure um you know we we talk about a muse the muse and she has certainly been my muse um for a lot of a lot of things and it's uh what happens in relationship if you stay in relationship and you work on that relationship um you're certainly going to go through a ton of changes Going through life with a partner is a totally different experience because you're trying to merge two different experiences, two different lives, sort of into this one collective unit that you're working towards the same sort of goals. Um, And you also go through the the life changes that you go through. We've gone through um, the loss of her parents. We've gone through uh, the loss of businesses together. A lot of a lot of loss, and um, and also a lot of joy, a lot of great experiences, a lot of amazing things on the road, just experiencing, learning, and changing and growing with one another. And it's been the most difficult experience of my life, 
staying in a marriage, staying in a relationship when the deck seems really stacked against you. Um, my wife and I have a 27 year age difference. So that was right off the bat was a huge factor. And my art has been insanely impacted by just, just our marriage, just going through that journey with someone. So for instance, I'm doing, I'm doing a Valentine's day show this coming up Thursday. I'm doing a songwriter's night with a couple of other amazing women. We're calling it Galentine's, which I think is funny. (laughs) 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 And, uh, but I, you know, I was writing out my set list for the show and it was literally like song after song after song of the journey, somewhat of my love and my marriage. And some of it's really painful. Some of it's funny. You know, it's, it's this, I, I will tell you that my life in general is completely different. My art is completely different and it has been so informed by my experience with my wife. I am an absolutely much more compassionate person than I would have been. Um, But also it's about what we talked about earlier. It's about the choices that you make. So early on in our relationship, when you're having, when we're having those tussles and fights about stupid things that you do when you first get into a relationship and so many people don't even make it past that first stage. And then when you go through these really heavy life-changing experiences, um, and those can, those can also go either way for couples, you know, you can either become closer or you can become further apart. And with us, there was, there's always, always was kind of a push and pull, which way are we going to go? And thankfully, um, we always come back to the heart and the longer that we are together, we've been together this year, um, this year together, 13 years, oh, almost 14 yeah. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I will say that the more that time goes on, um, the deeper our love gets. We have uh, an incredible depth of understanding that, you know, I wouldn't have that without her. I wouldn't, I, you know, I, before I met my wife, I was, you know, I was like the bachelor. (laughs) I just, you know, (laughs) I mean, I mean, I, I had I had significant relationships prior to her, but, you know, really, I was the kind of person that was sort of like, yeah, let's hang out, do whatever. But I'm not going to I'm not going to get serious, you know. And when I met my wife, it was uh, it was love at first sight. That's a real thing. And it happened. The whole world stopped. And I knew in that moment that um, whatever happened from that night on that my life was going to be forever changed. And it really has been in the most beautiful, profound way. Um, Really, really tough and really, really beautiful. It's the dichotomy of life. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I know that you play a bunch of different types of instruments. Do you have, do you have one that you gravitate towards naturally or are you just very, I don't know, I know ambidextrous if you play with both hands. If you're playing multiple instruments, what would that be called? Oh, yeah. What would that be called? Um, <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to come up with a good word for okay, that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I, for years, um, you know, I, I, I started off on piano when I was young. 
And then when I started playing music out, really, you know, gravitated towards the guitar because it was just much easier to travel with. But now I'm back to the piano. Um, gosh, I, I was gifted the most beautiful uh, piano uh, from our mutual friend, um, Sandra. And um, when her fiance passed away, he had the most beautiful um, Roland electric piano um, that she actually gifted me after his passing. Mm. And um, gosh, it's been the most amazing gift for me because um, I've created some beautiful tunes on that piano, particularly. And I really feel like um, honoring his spirit and, you know, that he, I really feel like he is there, you know, and infused in that instrument. Um, instruments are really cool like that, right? Just, I, I believe that, you know, those things, objects carry things. I have a 19, early 1930s tenor guitar that um, when I got it, it almost played itself. You know, it was like all these years that it had, it had been around <laughs> in the ethers. Yeah. And the, and, the thing with John's yeah. piano too, is, you know, the, prov mm -hmm. you know, the provenance of it, like that guitar, oh, yeah. you don't necessarily know the provenance on it. And, but can you, you can probably imagine or feel the, the hands that have played it or touched it or. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, and it really, it really is like that. I, I have a good friend who um, he's a lap still still player and he has a lap steel that he picked up and it was the same kind of situation. He, you know, he said when he got it, he could, he could still smell like all the cigarette smoke um, from all the years that it had been in these, you know, these clubs. And he said the same sort of thing. It just sort of played itself, you know, and, and I, I it's, it's crazy, but it's real. <laughs> My um, my fiance is a drummer and he was just telling me last night about uh, he has a, a vintage Sterilite whatever kind of kit and the I think it was the snare drum got stolen. So of the set, that was the piece that got stolen. And so when he went to replace it, he went to Jack's, which was a lo local music store and he bought... Uh, what happened to be somebody else's um, drum that the person sort of famously got upset in a club and threw it against the wall and it smashed and they brought it to Jack's and Jack's like hammered it out. And so, he's, oh, wow. so he knew that he had supposedly the story behind it was sort of a semi-popular band at the time his drummer had done this and he was like oh well I bought so-and-so's drum that he supposedly right. destroyed in a club <laughs> and and my um fiance is a really heavy hitter so he's like you know I feel like if this drum has already been abused that perhaps I could still like beat the crap out of it and it was <laughs> <laughs> it would hang in there because it's used to the abuse right it's used to the abuse <laughs> Um, but he's funny because, um, you know, when you, I'm not a musician and, um, when I listen to music, I can hear it through his ears now. And when, um, since we've been together, listening to different bands that he's been in, I can actually identify him now. Like I can tell how his playing is different. I don't know if it's the way he plays or how he plays or how he hits or what it is, but like can really identify him playing it differently than someone else, which is a really, Oh, that's so cool. That's a very cool thing. That's a very cool thing. I love hearing that, that, um, 
that that's really special and that must be very special for him well he's we were talking too about how um um, I grew up with music lessons and an instrument and I can read music and I used to be able to like, I knew like what the charts meant and everything. I don't know that if I looked at it now, it, it might come back to me, but it might not. Right. <laughs> but he was all self-taught. So all of his instinct is intuitive. And, oh, um, yeah. and I said, but like with drumming, like that seems like a very complicated, intuitive skill to have because it's timing, it's rhythm, it's coordination. But like if he goes into a studio, he can play to a click track. And I said, but there's there's math involved in that. Like you have to understand how to, I don't know, synchronize notes or tone or whatever it is. And, sure. and he was sort of like, yeah, but it's intuitive. And I was like, I like my brain wasn't computing that. It didn't quite make sense. But do you think yeah, it's, that it's your formal crazy. training has informed sort of your musicality at all? Oh, yeah. I was, you know, because for me, I had, so I had a mix of it, right? So I, um, I grew up in the family that I grew up with, um, which was really all self taught players. And oral tradition, things passed down from generation to generation. And then, you know, I went through the typical thing that you go through. A lot of people go through as kids, you know, like, what do I want to be? What do I want to do? And uh, when I got to high school, I tried out for the chorus. Now, this is a big deal because, once again, I am from an arts community. So the chorus there was pretty, pretty popular, pretty big deal. And I remember when I tried out, I think the choral teacher was probably horrified because I went in. I had my father play the piano and uh, we did an audition on a great old Southern gospel tune. And, you know, and I just sang my little heart out. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure it was, you know, totally different from any of the other auditions that came in that day. Um, but I got in to the chorus and I had no idea what I was doing. But then I started really getting my formal music training. And, uh, you know, and it was good to have sort of a baseline. I think um, it was good for me and my going on in my career to sort of have a language to speak with other musicians about. And uh, But honestly, because I think what the way I grew up for so many years, that probably informs my playing much more than looking at a chart or a tab. Um, and I can, I can read music and I can sight read and I can look at those things, but it takes me a lot longer to process it. Um, because I, you know, I, I learned it, but I probably didn't, um, let it sink in, um, the way that it, it should have. And then I went on to, you know, to college, I, I was a double major in theater and music. Um, and I properly dropped out, um, to go be a, uh, professional musician because you know that's just really where I wanted to be and uh, I lucked out sort of with that my first roommate when I was 17 when I moved to Asheville my first roommate was already a pretty um, well-known songwriter in the area and I just sort of she kind of took me under her wing and taught me the ropes a little bit and so I was very lucky um, to be able to sort of start doing what I love right away and of course you know 
like I said earlier, you know, throughout my career, of course, I've supplemented with other things and I've done every job imaginable uh, to make ends meet. But I'm finally to the point now at 42 years old where I am truly uh, trying to make music and only music my priority. That's great. So in terms of how people find you and wherever they can buy your music or support your art or um, download something, where, where, where can they find you? Sure. So soon, very hopefully, I should have a new website up and it's a blownglassband.com. And that that'll be a good place to start. Um, CD baby, you can find my stuff. Um, and then right now, though, accessible right now to everyone, um, we do have a, an active Facebook page and it's Katura, K-E-T-U-R-A-H and the Blown Glass Band. And that's on Facebook. So that's where people can go right now to sort of link up to everything. And we're kind of in the mode of rebranding. So, you know, we're doing a new website and trying to change things up a little bit. So things are a little under construction, but very soon. Um, all of that will be accessible to everyone. Is there anything in closing that you would like to say? <laughs> Just that you are a beautiful soul. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. This was a pleasure. And I can tell how um, <laughs> how much have things have changed for you just since the last <laughs> time we talked. You, oh, yeah. You're like so much more focused. And I recognize that like you're not being chased by a vacuum cleaner this time. <laughs> but also I can hear how like how like settled you are, which is awesome to hear because yeah. not that you were like disjointed before, but I I I am glad that for you things are in a, you know, a more settled place and that you're getting to put that energy into um, an area that you're so good in, you're so talented in, you have so much energy behind. And, um, you know, I wish you the best of luck. I know that our paths will cross again. And thank you so much. Uh, Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Have a good day. Take care. (laughs) You too. Thanks, Felicia. Okay. Bye. Gentle snow fall outside